Yes, 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 yes. What is going on, everybody? Welcome to another brand new Rubby Muscle Podcast. I'm your host, as always, TJ. And in this episode, we are once again joined by Brett Contreras, aka The Glute Guy. If you do know Brett as The Glute Guy, what you might not know is that he is balls deep in the sports science research where he really does enjoy like real world strength and conditioning which includes rugby he has some really good suggestions on how to get faster what you need to do to you know really transfer what you do in the weight room onto the field and rather than me go into all this big spiel about all this what we talk about why don't you just go ahead and listen to what we're talking about Quickly before we do that though, I do want to give a shout out to Mocho94 who gave us a five star review on iTunes. He did leave a review so I know his name or his, at least his iTunes name, right? Um, Mocho, if you reach out to us, you have won three free months of world-class rugby strength and condition delivered directly to your phone via Team Rugby Muscle. So just reach out to me and I'll give you more information how you can do that. For the rest of you, you can also win three free months of world-class rugby strength and condition delivered directly to your phone if you just go ahead and do the same thing. Go to iTunes, give us a five-star review, type up a little spiel so that your name is left there and maybe you'll win. If not, the least thing you're going to do is really help out the show um, speaking of which, let's get into this show. Episode 106 with Brett Contreras. You're the glute guy, right? So, you know, you're the inventor of the hip thrust. You've got the hip thrust machine, yada, 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 which is great. Um, but what was the best thing I've seen around that is your almost concession where you said you've found out of the research because I remember initially you, you, you said that this was one of the biggest things that, uh, you need to do in order to build speed if you're doing hip thrusts it's a really good way of building speed but then i've seen that you've subsequently changed your mind on that is that still true what's your opinion it's uh it's 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 on the fence so let me tell you the backstory behind that all right so this was like 2009 when i came up with this force vector hypothesis if you want to jump higher obviously you need to do jumping but do squats because it's it's you're you're feeling the same vector squats yeah. moving up and down. Uh, and so when you jump, uh, you'll, you'll jump higher, um, because you'll develop more force potential and force lays the foundation for power, yada, yada, yada. But I don't even agree with that anymore. Cause there's a lot of research by this, uh, JB Marin and his colleagues showing that, you know, you get the best results training for your weakness. So there you look at people's force, individual force velocity curves, say, TJ, you're very uh, force deficient. You're very explosive, but you don't have a lot of maximum force. Right. I need to train you with heavy half squats and leg press and things like that, and then your jump will go up. But then you look at me, I'm very velocity deficient. I'm strong, but so slow. Don't even give me any strength work. Just have me do a bunch of jumps, and they even do overspeed work. You get on a skateboard and push off against a wall lying down. You're lying on a skateboard. You push off against the wall because that's faster than actual jumping nice. and like bungee jumping and stuff like that. Or uh, on the, I've seen people do it when they're leaning back on the TRX as well because they can get more force. Is that the same? Not more force, more velocity. More velocity, but, sorry. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But yeah, so, so you, you do stuff like that and then you get I, get, I get more results that way. So mm-hmm. I think it depends on the individual, but I think you, it's paramount that you fast explosive training. Uh, they, have, they lead to diff- different mechanisms. But anyway, 
oh, if you want to, and my, my rationale is if you want to sprint faster, you need to do horizontal exercises because sprinting speed is about moving yourself forward horizontally, not upwards. And then there was this big debate over which is more important for maximal speed, vertical or horizontal force. That's kind of still a debate. Um, and there's a lot of studies that have come out, but, um, but, uh, my rationale back then was like, train all the vectors and you'll get the best results. I mm-hmm. still believe that for, but you need to train all the vectors. Like if you want to cut laterally, you got, you need to do plyometrics, but you should also do some lateral, like lateral lunges and slide board, slide board work and abduction work and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. And if you want to get better at rotating, yes, just having big, strong muscles overall will help, but you should do things like pal-off presses and wood chops and then med ball drills, things like that. Mm-hmm. So yeah, that makes sense conceptually, okay? So here's what the research has to say about it. My study on adolescent male rugby players was the first. One group did front squats only. The other group did hip thrusts only. The front squat group got better at jumping. The hip thrust group got better at sprinting. They saw better results with that. So that was the first evidence to support the force vector hypothesis. Mm-hmm. Then two new, two subsequent studies came out showing that they gave subjects hip thrusts and they got way stronger at hip thrusts, but their speed didn't increase. And two different studies showed that. I mean, one of them was on collegiate uh, Japanese baseball players, and it was interesting because – they tested them on squats too. So they did eight weeks of hip thrusting, no squats. Their hip thrust strength went up 36% and their squat strength went up 31%. Huh. Without ever squatting. So that makes the, it, and this is, there's several studies now indicating that hip thrusts are an awesome assistance lifts for squats. But how can it make your squats go up, but not your, you know, and, and squat strength has been, correlated with or not correlated it's been shown increasing squat training it's been shown to increase sprinting speed but hip thrust didn't increase sprinting speed in this example that's why it's this convoluted yeah uh, cluster here so um so anyway uh and then a, a recent paper criticized the hypothesis showing that when you're when you're sprinting you're leaning forward and if you look at the force vector in relation to the body, the, the the global frame or whatever they call it, it's it's similar to squatting. But I will disagree with that because even though you can look at that, it's still the pulling back mechanism of the leg. Yeah. To me, that that, that is more responsible, not the vertical component. It's the horizontal component. Yeah. You look at that. But anyway, it's been criticized. Now, here's what I think. I want. The t- I want uh, I I think it's it's when uh, then this is kind of a pitfall with research in general and I'm I love research but I think it's important that you always kind of you know have a an understanding that what do we do as strength coaches and personal trainers TJ have you ever once been like hey new hey newcomer hey new athlete that I'm training I'm going to test your one rep max <laughs> on like you know a, a Friday. And then, and then, and and you you may have never even done the exercise before. You've never even done a squat or a hip thrust or a deadlift. And now, and now, like the next week, say on a Monday, the next week I'm going to throw you into a program that involves five sets of fives at eighty five percent of your one RM. You know, yeah, doing progressive overload every session for eight straight weeks. So, 
six, 16 straight sessions. So the first session, tra- work, have you, I've never one rep maxed a client their first session. God, no. Not, no. Yeah. And think about how bad their form is. They're going to be like, maybe have like little micro injuries from using crap. Like say you did that with deadlifts, they'd end up rounding or squats. They'd end up, you know, turning mm. into or knee valgusing or, you know, whatever. And so they're not in a good state. And then you push them progressive overload for, you know, six to eight to 10 straight weeks, hammering them. And then like the next week you retest them on sprint speed. So I have like a, my, for example, my, my friend, Carlo Buzzicelli, he trained, he works with, um, you know, Olympic level uh, track and field athletes. And they will tell you, they will all tell you the importance of a taper. And these studies never taper. They don't train people the way we train people. Like, let's do body yeah, it's, it's not the real world. <laughs> it's not the real world. So, okay, so, you know, when I train people, it's like, let's do body weight hip thrust. Okay, you're good at this. I'm going to put a dumbbell in your lap. Okay, I'm going to do bands. Okay, let's try single leg. Great. Okay, now I'm going to try weighted. Let's try 65 pounds. Great. Okay, I'm going to move you up to 95. Let's do see if you can get this for 15 reps. And then over the course of like a month, four weeks, now I'm giving you heavy weight, you know, and, mm-hmm. and you have you do heavy sets of five, but it's, it's, it's this um, ebb and flow. I'm watching you. I'm determining what you need. I'm auto regulating and, and taking in your biofeedback. And I'm not just throwing you off some arbit. That's the, the, the benefit of being a personal trainer. You can throw an audible in there. This is looking heavy. I'm not going to go heavy with them today. I'm going to go lighter for higher reps or whatever. And that they get stronger, and most of them will say, I, I'm getting faster if they run. Um, they'll say, I feel like I'm getting faster. Now, how do you know it was from the hip thrust or from all the other exercise they do? So what I would like to see is a program where, like a, a, a study where, first of all, when, you, when your feet are elevated as well, like when you do a barbell hip thrust off a bench, um, it, you, you feel a lot in the quads. You don't feel as much in the hamstrings. But when you elevate the feet as well, you feel it more in the hamstrings. And that was my original invention, the scorcher. Mm-hmm. Got both shoulder and feet elevation. And then you feel, as you dip down, you'll feel a stretch in the hammy. So I think that style of hip thrust is more specific to sprinting. But I also think that you look at, like, one of the studies had, it was like a two-second concentric, two-second eccentric, and a one-second pause. You're looking at a five-second rep. And that's where, where it's hard because as a peer reviewer and things like that, you, 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 want this, you want to have set established parameters because, and I learned this through Instagram. Remember back before it was 60-second clips, you had 15 seconds? Yeah. Some of my clients would get a 15-rep set in in 15 seconds with hip thrust. Nice. You know, when we did, when we did constant tension hip thrust, they mm-hmm. get a rep a second. That nice. means – half a second on the way down, half a second on the way up with no pause. That's a way more explosive hip thrust than what's seen in that research paper. So if you're doing a pause at the top and very slow on the way down and very slow on the way up, I think that'll lead to better increases in, in like sled pushing or, you know, maximum pushing force, whereas explosive hip thrust would lead to better improvements in sprinting. Um, and say, same with squats. If you do, you know, say you do squats with like a four second eccentric, two second concentric, or like say four second eccentric, one second pause at the bottom, and a two second concentric. 
that would lead to better improvements in squatting strength and lifting strength, but an explosive squat would lead to better improvements in vertical jump. But then I also told you earlier that it depends on your individual force velocity profile, so it just depends on the individual. But anyway, overall, I would think that. So I would like to see with the hip thrust, do three things. One, elevate the feet as well. Mm-hmm. Two, use explosive repetitions. Go a little bit lighter for a little bit more explosive reps, you know, one-second reps. Have them hip thrust explosively. And three, have a little bit of a taper so they're not beat up because that's what I was going to say earlier. These sprint coaches will tell you, you know, we would never just have our athletes go go right into a track and field meet after burying them for eight straight weeks. Uh, yeah. In, the taper and if you do these those three things and it still came out the hip thrust didn't improve speed then i'd be like okay wow all right but i'd like to see those things but so to me the jury is still the jury's out we need more evidence we need more uh but you know the way things go in strength and conditioning is uh it's this pendulum swinging back and forth forth and so you got hip thrusts were so popular in sports because of me and, 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 and I didn't have a lot of research to back it up, but I was making these claims and EMG got popular, hip thrusts were popular, everything was popular. And then the pendulum swung back the other way a little bit. Some, some, actually, my colleague Andrew Vygotsky started criticizing EMG, uh, rightfully so. It's yeah. great for certain reasons, but not for predicting uh, not motor unit recruitment or necessarily hypertrophy unless you – it's more accurate – under certain conditions, but not with loads, not with like a heavy load versus a, a light load. You can't use it in that research. And then the pendulum swing, and then you get these two studies that are published casting doubt on it. And then my guess is the pendulum will swing the other way when some new research comes out. So we ha- that's what I said earlier. You have to be humble, skeptical, open-minded. Uh, when you think you know everything, then like, so let's say you were my fan and you think hip thrusts are no matter what improve performance. And then you were probably surprised to see this research showing that they didn't improve performance. But then now if you're one of those coaches, you think, Oh, I saw these two studies, hip thrusts don't improve performance. Come on. Of course they improve some things. Yeah. Depends on what you measure and how you set up the plan. A recent MMA study was just published and all the strength coaches have been tweeting it and posting it on their Instagrams. And I looked at it and it was two groups. One group group did a a traditional training regimen. The other group did a sports specific training regimen. And the, the one group did squats, military press and, and a kettlebell swing conditioning circuit. And the other group did like, like jump squats and uh, the rowing machine and like med ball bench press and med ball tosses. And then the things they tested to see if it's, you know, to, to, for performance measures to see if it was a good program were like bench press, med ball tosses <laughs> and, and, and rowing. So which group do you think came out on top? Yeah. The group that did rowing, the group that did, you know, the other group did like jump rope and stuff. So if you would have said which group is better, the group that did military and push press and testament military press, that group would have come out on top. So it just depends on the things you measure 
a lot of these papers recently only look at a narrow spectrum of things. We should be testing a large battery of things to see how things tra- transfer to performance. And that's when we'll get a better picture of how these different exercises and techniques transfer. Nice. Nice. So like, I know you got to go soon. So we've got just a couple more questions in terms of um, like, to, just to piggyback off of that really, because like, as you say, I think the issue is we, there's, there's enough shitty science out there that, so it works both ways. So people can just cherry pick the ones that back them um, and then they can use the ones that go against it. But there's so much shitty research out there or, or not shitty, but just, you know, we're trying to figure out what the real purpose of it was and then it, it's not necessarily what we think it could be. But that's why it's important to find the right people. And do, do you have any advice for like rugby players to try and find like the right co- the, the coaches that have the sort of right blend of science? Is there any traits that you see in these sorts of guys? Well, uh, so, all right. When I lived in New Zealand, uh, Nick Gill is the strength coach mm-hmm. for All Blacks, right? Yep. He's in the gym all day long, but he also has his PhD and is involved in research. You should have. You should wear both hats. Uh, I'm not saying you can't learn a ton from just guys who know a lot about weightlifting, but you should always. Um, how do I say this? Like, properly place that coach where he where he belongs. So, you if you have a powerlifting coach, he's gonna he's gonna value powerlifting over right. But you can learn a lot about what he from him about what he knows about powerlifting. Mm-hmm. You don't want to train your athletes the same way as you treat a powerlifter. Powerlifters are a lot of times in pain, and they push the envelope to the maximum. You know, yeah. You want to push it that, your athletes to that degree where they're like. I remember my powerlifting friends before a meet. Three of them, they're like top level guys. They're amazing. They're these guys weigh 198 pounds and deadlift 750. But uh, uh they were the one of them's like god i hope my I, my pet doesn't tear at this meat and the other's like i hope my hamstring doesn't tear at this meat. <laughs> i feel like it's gonna rip off of the bone and i'm like geez like i would hate to be going to the meat worrying if something's gonna tear yeah but that's how hard they push it in their training and they're 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 amazing that they're, they're warriors but that's <laughs> that's not what you don't want to push your athletes to the brink of that they're not going to perform their best but you can learn a lot about techniques mm-hmm mechanics but also with program design but you wouldn't want to train exactly you also want so you want guys who know about powerlifting guys who know a lot about single leg training guys who know a lot about posterior chain training guys who know about sprint mechanics guys who know about agility training guys who know about plyometrics um and people who know who who are more scientific who know the physiology and biomechanics of things more and then guys who no, the game of rugby. Well, you want all sorts of experts uh, to rely upon, and then mm-hmm. you're gonna—it's your job, you have your brain—to take all this information swirling in and funnel it in, and try to make sense of it, and then use that to, uh, you know, um, drive your decision making as a strength coach. Absolutely, that's brilliant. Because I think I've always said that, like the science almost doesn't limit your options; it gives you more options, it gives you infinite amounts of options which makes it incredibly difficult to pick to pick which ones. And like, that's most of my guy, the athletes that I train is like, I have them do so much less than what they were doing before because there's just no need. It's like you said, finding the weaknesses and, and targeting those. 
Nice. Um, last few ones. Okay, so um, you've always got your finger on the pulse of the research in the sports science world. Is there anything cutting edge that would benefit our, our rugby guys that are listening in? Is there anything that's new that that might come a little bit left of field? Um, put you on the spot? To me, they're kind of new. It's funny because they're not new. Like, for example... Um, Re-emphasizing old, old facts well, and stuff well, not, or no, no, like, reframing it. No, like like things that have been around for a few years now. So the, yeah. the reason is they're not new, but they haven't hit mainstream with the co- coaches. For example, um, in the hamstring strain injury prevention world, uh, Nordics have seen this a huge like surge in popularity. Nordic ham curls. Mm-hmm. If you're not doing Nordics, you're a fool because they 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 work very well. In fact, they call it the quadrant of doom. So picture a, a graph with four quadrants, a longitudinal and lateral axis, right? Mm-hmm. On the one uh, axis, you plot hamstring, eccentric hamstring strength, and on the other, you plot um, biceps femoris fascicle length. And if, you're, if you have long fascicles, then that's good. And if you're very strong eccentrically, eccentrically that's good. Where you don't want to be is in this, they call it the quadrant of doom, where you have low eccentric hamstring strength and short fascicles. That's bad. You okay? get a tear. That's where you have way higher chance of getting, uh, of tearing your hamstring. Mm-hmm. Um, and so you can use that information. I mean, you don't, the thing is, you don't have ways to test that with your players because we don't have ultrasound and Nord boards where we can measure this. But if you've been around long enough, you can see this guy sucks at Nordics, you know, or this yeah. guy's awesome. I mean, I give Nordics to every, all of our clients. And so I can tell right away, Ooh, this, this person's amazing at them or this person, they break before they reach halfway down. We mm-hmm. need to increase their hamstring strength. But the nice thing is doing Nordics will do both. It increases your eccentric strength and it lengthens the fascicles because eccentric training lengthens fascicles, concentric only training shortens them. Um, and so, uh, you, to me, you need to be doing Nordics. But then if all you know is that research, you think Nordics are the panacea for everything, and they're not. As my friend Jordan Mendeguccia will point out, um, a lot of people like to be reductionists. Uh, it's, it's, it's in our nature. If this, TJ, if you strained your hamstring, it's in my nature to go, well, he tore it because he doesn't. his hamstrings aren't flexible. Or he tore it because he was weak. Mm-hmm. Or because of this, and it's really this intertwined interrelationship between like six things. You know, it's it's going to be related to um, whether or not you've had a prior injury, your anatomy, your anatomy and architecture, your skeletal structure, and how your particular hamstring, you know, the moment arms and the distance away from your hip joint and your knee joint, and the architecture and your fascicle length and penation angle of these things your uh hamstring strength and especially your eccentric hamstring strength your flexibility your core stability how well your pelvis can you can how well your core can stabilize your pelvis because that influences the stretch on the opposite mm-hmm. leg of sprinting uh your 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 glute activation uh, uh and that that's more related to fatigue if you're fatigued things fire differently yep so it's it's 
you know, uh, uh, and maybe glute strength a little bit if, if, if you're, you know, and maybe the adductor strength, if those are strong, because if not, they're not, then you might rely more on your hamstrings, things like that. And, and of course, your preparation, you know, uh, if you're not sprinting, the greatest conditioning for sprinting or for hamstring strain injury prevention during sprinting is properly programmed sprinting. So there is an example where you should be doing Nordics, but it doesn't work for everyone. So yeah. some, and, and my friend Jordan is the uh, Spanish physiotherapist researcher who works with a lot of the top Olympic uh, soccer players, or you guys call it football players. Um, yeah. So uh, uh, he, he he can say like, yes, th- this guy, ha- you know, this player has a hamstring injury. But uh, or injures his hamstrings and his Nordic strength is through the roof. It's that he has a particular his anatomy or his whatever he has a prior injury, and so that it heals back biomechanically inferior. Um, and so it's not just about Nordics, but yes, he should be doing Nordics. And then the other line of research is like what I said about J.B. Marin. He's a French uh, researcher, uh, biomechanics and sprint researcher. And his stuff has just been great on the importance of horizontal force development in sprinting, um, the importance of the hamstrings, and then the importance of um, individualizing your programs to the weakness of the athlete. And I mentioned that earlier, but I really think that's a, an area that we need to learn more about and, and, and learn how to – so we know that this exists, but we don't know the best methods to improve upon them are, like – so if you want to do sprint, say say jumping, that's kind of an easy thing. Mm-hmm. What I force, say you're velocity deficient. Well, say you're force deficient. Okay, do heavy squats, do heavy leg press, all right? But what if you're velocity deficient? Okay, do bungee jumping and skateboard push-offs off the wall. Mm-hmm. For how long? Right. And at what point does does your strength regress and how much? Yeah, exactly. And and also rugby isn't just about jumping. You might have a player kind of like pushing against you on top, but you need that force too. So Mm -hmm. not just about improving one thing, but what if you want to improve sprinting? What exercise, what if you're, you're force deficient? What exercise is best for that? Is it squats? Is it hip thrusts? Is it RDLs. Mm-hmm. Uh, what if you're velocity deficient? Um, do you just do sprints? Can you do is overspeed sprinting beneficial? Is what, what, if, what about what if you're extremely uh, velocity deficient, but you're also you know you're a prop, you're a front row, therefore you're in the scrum all the time. You need your strength, so you exactly. can't just not do that. Exactly. Yeah. Um, well, how, what, how do you improve rotation? We we have so much to learn. There's, and that's what's so fascinating about it. And so we're, you're always just doing the best. As a strength coach, you're doing the best you can with your available knowledge. The problem, uh, what the problem is, a lot of guys don't have a lot of knowledge. They don't read enough. And I always, I'm trying to make this movement like read every day, read mm-hmm. as much as you lift. Imagine if you were as passionate about reading as you were about lifting. We all like to lift weights. Uh, you get, get develop that same passion for learning and. And you know, listening to podcasts and things like that, and that will take your your your. It, it, I, it's not like linear; like you become ten times better of a strength coach because the main things are: do you know how to coach the lifts properly, and can you design a decent program? Mm-hmm. But when you you don't. It's this Dunning Kruger effect where people don't know what they don't know. They're they're too na- naive and ignorant to know 
how much they don't know. And this is where like learning the science comes into play. When you will be amazed if you really focus on science, five years from now, Pete, you, you're it just helps with these individual scenarios where a, an athlete or a client comes to you and they're like, you know, when I do this, this hurts, or when I do this, and then you know, okay. Let me test your because, like, let's look at hip flexion and extension range of motion in humans. One study took 200 humans or 200 hips and looked at the hip flexion and extension range of motion, and the range was crazy. So, with hip flexion, uh, you had some people who got 80 degrees of hip flexion and others that got 140. Jeez. So, these people need different exercises, yeah, and due to your hip anatomy. You know, that's due to your skeletal hip anatomy. And hip extension was five degrees and then up to 40 degrees. And so, like, some people have crazy hip hyperextension range of motion, other people not. That may, that will make your mechanics look different. So how your squat looks, how your hip thrust looks, it, it, a lot of it has to do with your hip anatomy. Um, and you, you, a lot of people don't know these things. How, how would you know them if you didn't look at research? So yeah. bottom line to maximize your ability as a strength coach, to maximize your effectiveness, you should be training yourself, training others, and reading and learning from, you know, online. Yeah. And if you're looking for a good coach, you look you need a coach that does that ticks those boxes as well. Cuz it's funny like I've seen a lot of your work and and it's what's beautiful is what you what we present like the, and that, and you see that from the better trainers what they present to the athlete or the outside world is this simplified thing but behind it's what's behind it which is where the craziness goes you know i'm sat here looking at my mac my my imac and i can just see a screen with your 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 burly manly face on front of it but i can't you know and that seems simple to me but i have no idea what's going on in the back here and all the all of the software or the hardware even and it's that's and that's where the science really pays off yeah yeah beautiful well it's been brilliant having you on um uh you know you actually haven't i think you've answered questions with even more questions which is the way it has to be it's brilliant i i think that was really valuable for our guys to listen into um where can everyone find out more and uh start to dig in deep with this research or start to figure out you know how they want to train according to what you're, you're putting out so I, you know, if, if you don't remember the name Brett Contreras, you can just type in the glute guy, glute <laughs> guy on Google pulls up my website. Um, and from there you can find my social media channels. I don't, I'm not very active anymore on Facebook and Twitter. Maybe that'll change or even on YouTube that much lately, but I'm always active on Instagram. That's my main social media source. And then from there you can sign up on my blog. You can sign up to my newsletter. I only send it out like once a month lately but nice. i never spam people it's just like here are the new articles i've done and things like that and here's some po- some web uh some of my more popular social media posts and some podcasts that i've done so feel free to sign up for that as well that's brilliant okay well it's been awesome having you on and um again hopefully we'll get you on in the future we'll see, see how we can dig even deeper into this research because like i feel like you've, you've started just to open up pandora's box for some of our listeners for sure <laughs> thanks tj i appreciate it 
Alright guys, thank you so much for listening to this podcast. I really do hope you enjoyed it. And if you did, make sure that you're subscribed so that you can get every single future episode delivered directly to your phone without any sort of hassle whatsoever. If you'd like to win some cool free stuff, then you can go ahead and go give us a five-star review, ideally on iTunes, but you can use whatever podcasting service you do to give us a five-star review. Right now, we're giving away a three a free three-month subscription to Team Rugby Muscle. That's our flagship strength and conditioning program where you can get world-class strength and conditioning delivered directly to your phone so that you can make the most amount of progress in the simplest way possible. And last but not least, you can download 50 free conditioning sessions just by visiting rugby-muscle.com. Thank you so much for listening to this episode, and we'll see you in the next one.